Welcome, everyone, to episode 227 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we are discussing the 2023 95th edition of the Academy Awards. With me to talk through all of the highs and lows of Sunday night's awards show, I have my co-host, as always, Scott Harvey. Scott, are you basking in the glory of another completed awards season? Um, yes, I certainly am, Scott. Um, I, I guess we should get the elephant in the room out of the way up front because sure. we had really pitched. We promised you know, we were we gonna, a lot last week. We yeah. were going in on this Lincoln Center um, party that we were going to. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, for, due to circumstances out of our control, um, yes. it was not able to happen, um, yes. which uh, is is unfortunate, of course. But um, again, the the circumstances out of our control, I would say, certainly take took precedence over sure. our um, yeah. our prior engagement with this Lincoln Center party. So eventually, it's. I mean, what the, the real reason, Scott, is we should just get this out of the way is that we're 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 beating around the bush. We're trying to be coy about it, but really, just the news that Jamie Lee Curtis was going to win Best Supporting Actress is the re- we just said shut shut the whole thing down. Well, yeah, when I heard that the Oscars crisis team had developed a crisis management team, yeah, um, I can only assume that they did that in anticipation of Jamie Lee Curtis winning. I can't imagine, I can't think of any other crises that have happened in the last few years with the Oscars. So, That's um, true. yeah, um, but no, Scott, uh, I'm, I'm good. I uh, was able to rally and uh, find an Oscar party to go to here in Charlotte um, with a few folks. Um, and we had a good time. Um, it was it was definitely the uh, a fun way to watch the show. You know, I um, it, it's normally very long, but uh, it didn't feel like it w- was um, yeah. was as long as usual. I think because you know I was with a bunch of people. We were you know having fun, chatting, joking, all that. It was a good vibe. It was very it was very long. Uh, it was three hours forty minutes, but um, you know the time flew by. It was it was fun. We made the most of it. Yes, yeah, I was I was watching from the living room of my mother's house, and I jokingly told you as the show started that you know based on how the how I understood the the show was going to go and who was going to win what awards, I would be turning it off after the below the line awards were complete, which I did do, and I went upstairs and watched the last of a season finale. There you go. <laughs> I spared myself the end of the show. Yeah. Um... It did. It did pretty much. We'll get into the details, but it did pretty much go as predicted. Um, yeah. For better or for worse, mostly for worse. Um, sure. But you know, there are silver linings, which which we can talk about. But it was it was another disappointing year overall. I guess uh, it's fair to say. Yeah, and I guess we might as well jump into it there. I think we always like to start this kind of show with understanding who the real winners are and talk about them first. And I think it is fair to say that with seven awards on the night including the first film ever to win five above the line oscars i think is is what it was described as um that would be everything everywhere all at once it did just as well as uh, awards prognosticators predicted arguably even better um because you know a couple weeks ago jamie lee curtis was not um predicted probably to win best supporting actress in fact probably wasn't even in the top two for that but really saw a late surge come Come on late, but everything everywhere all at once, of course, took home best picture. The Daniels took home best director, uh, best actress, best supporting actor, and best supporting actress, all going to Michelle Yeoh, Kihei Kwan, and the aforementioned Jamie Lee Curtis, and then best original screenplay as well to complete the sort of the quintuple 
of Above the Line Awards, which I I, I didn't really fact check that, but it, because it won three acting Oscars, um, I guess sorry, I guess I guess screenplay is actually not Above the Line, but director the three acting categories that won and Best Picture accumulated to five Above the Line Awards, which apparently has not been done before, um, yeah. which is obviously because net, network impressive. network won three acting awards but it didn't win best picture or director so right exactly yeah so a really impressive showing it, it completed its seven awards i mentioned those five best original screenplay as well as best editing both of which you know it was predicted to win those two as well it didn't completely sweep all 10 categories that it had been nominated in but it was an overwhelming statement for the film um scott reactions yeah, I mean, again, I had steeled myself for, for this happening um, going in. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think we talked about it the past couple of weeks, but I, I had made peace with this, with the fact that this was going to win Best Picture. Yeah. Um, you know, it's certainly not my favorite movie of the year, but in many ways, I think it's an important movie, a movie that actually does mean something. Yeah. And a movie that I was, like I said, I had made peace with the fact that it was going to win Best Picture. It was not going to be another Coda situation or Green Book situation um, for me. Um, with that being said, all I was asking for was just to sort of spread the wealth around a little bit, like like uh, I believe I said as well the past couple of weeks, because... Mm. Everything Everywhere All at Once was not the only movie that came out in 2022. Um, there were quite a few very good movies, quite a few movies that were better than Everything Everywhere All at Once and that were nominated. Thinking, you know, primarily of Tar and the Fablements um, being the, the two that come to mind immediately. Banshees and Sharon, um, I think people would say a lot as well. Yep, Pop Gun Maverick, you know, the, the list goes on. But um, like you said, Scott, it, it was very anticlimactic and saturated with everything everywhere all at once wins and i can i can you know swallow the pill of the best picture win i can even swallow the pill of michelle yo winning best actress because i think that she was phenomenal in the film but um you know when you get into it more i think in particular best original screenplay um it's a little silly that they won for that certainly best supporting actress jamie lee curtis is laughable honestly I, I you know when it when it happened i tweeted out that it was embarrassing for the oscars and honestly yes it, it was embarrassing that um they clearly did not the the actual performance itself was clearly very very low on the list of reasons uh for why jamie lee curtis won the oscar and at that point it's just like you know what's the point of having this thing if you're just going to vote for somebody because you know they've been around a long time because they're hollywood royalty because they're in know, a movie they have, they're just in a movie you really like yeah sure yeah. yeah you're but and i mean but even saying that you know stephanie shu was also nominated for the same movie and that's that's one in of the a crazy far superior about performance this. yeah 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 and that's one of the crazy things about this too is that jamie lee curtis was able to overcome that right like many many actors in you know historically have not been able to overcome when another actor from the same film is nominated in their category they split the vote naturally but the fact that jamie lee curtis was able to you know beat out not only you know carrie condon and angela bassett but her own co-star uh you know stephanie shu and and um, garner enough votes to win the overall award is pretty crazy for a performance that I mean, Scott, I remember we can probably go back months and listen to, you know, our podcast and 
I, I can remember a time when we were just like expressing shock that this movie was even be, or that this performance is even being considered for a nomination. And now the fact that it has won is like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't have anything against Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, I love Halloween. I've, I've enjoyed her in some other movies. Um, Blue, Blue Steel is a really good movie starring her. Knives but, Out. I enjoy, I enjoy her a lot. Oh, yeah. Knives Out. Yeah. Freaky Friday. Sure. But, um, this whole thing, this is the the one part of the everything everywhere all at once, you know, campaign that feels so engineered, right? Like it just feels um, like they wanted to manufacture a moment for her. Um, and, you know, sorry if that offends, if this offends anyone, but I think you should have to earn that moment, right? If for it to actually mean anything. And I don't think that Jamie Lee Curtis earned her moment for her performance and everything everywhere all at once. Um, I, you know, again, Angela Bassett was in a Marvel movie, but frankly, I would have very much preferred her to have won the award. So, um, overall, Scott, it's definitely a mixed bag. You know, I, I, I came out of it pretty dejected that this movie just kind of swept, like you said, uh, because I do think there were places, there were elements in the movie, which were not as strong as others. And in those particular categories, more worthy contenders that could have been you know, awarded and perhaps, you know, spreading the awareness of films like Tar and the Fablemans, which did not perform very well at the box office um, and which many people have probably not seen, um, spreading awareness of those films rather than simply awarding a film that most people already know about and have seen. Um, now that gets into the whole debate about who is actually watching the Oscars, you know, who should the Oscars be tailored toward, which we don't necessarily need. Or to even what the point of the Oscars is, if the point of yeah, the Oscars yeah. is to award films that people haven't seen. I mean, this is a conversation, this is obviously a completely separate conversation, but I think the, the point that you're making there at the end around worthy nominees in the category, I feel even more strongly about that in the direction, in the best director category, frankly. I mean, sure. I, I think Jamie Lee Curtis was probably the least you know the least of the performances in the supporting actress category i mean i didn't see the whale but yeah. i definitely would have taken the other three nominees over her i mean i've seen all five movies in the best in the category for best director and i can assure you that the daniels were the worst directors yeah. of a film <laughs> in that category um to take my Which word not for to it. say that they were bad but it's no. like and then if you're got you know again just just take your pick like director or screenplay like give them one but to give them both like come on guys like yeah i i, I definitely i definitely you know even though I, it wouldn't have been my pick for original screenplay um i mean i i'm it's probably not a surprise to say that i would have taken tar in original screenplay yeah. i think uh, screenplay I, yeah sorry you can under you can understand it though you can kind of understand yeah. the screenplay well, I, no, I was going to say, I think screenplay is more egregious than director. Like, director, oh, okay. sure. they have a vision, right? Like, you can see the Daniels have a vision, and they executed that vision fairly well, right? It wasn't a vision that either one of us was necessarily vibing with. But obviously, what they did was something unique, and it was something that connected with people. So I can, you know, between those two, I, of course, I wouldn't have given either one to them. But I sure. can say, okay... Sure, I can get there, maybe logically. Screenplay, again, it, it is kind of a messy movie. It's a hyperactive movie. It has some detours along the way that don't really work. Some comedy that really doesn't work for me. Um, 
And then again, yeah, when you stack it up to something like what, you know, for example, Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner were able to do for the Fablemans or what Todd Field was able to do for Tar. Like the screenplay Oscars, honestly, I don't think they, in recent years, they haven't gotten enough flack for how much BS uh, they have been, honestly, especially an adapted screenplay too, which we can we can talk about later because that doesn't involve everything everywhere, obviously. But um, like, I, I don't even understand what kind of criteria people are using when evaluating. Like you said, I think they are just voting for the movie that they like the most. And sure, yikes. It won seven awards, though. Best Picture. We, you know, you mentioned it. We we sort of knew that was coming for a long time. Was not a surprise, and it was it was utter, it was utterly dominant. You know, it didn't win three of the awards it was nominated for in categories, but those were all below the line categories in which there were, you know, pretty significant competition in films that were going to only win awards below the line. So it wasn't a huge surprise that it didn't take home more. And it it won all the categories that mattered, I'd say, to it, really, which is probably the most impressive, impressive part for it showing. I think, Scott, quickly before we move on to the other big winner of the evening, I think we just need to say the prefer people who talk about the preferential ballot need to stand down. Clearly, this preferential ballot is doing nothing. Yeah, I mean, so so I, I guess just to, to flesh that out further, your your comment there is to say that even though each of the last who, two years, it feels like people were like, Coda's not going to win the Oscar because there's some people who really like it. But like really don't year. like it. Yeah. And, that, and there was the same argument this year about everything everywhere all at once because it was a super polarizing film that obviously like a bunch of young hip people who love A24 movies really got on board with. But like the boomers of the Academy don't understand it. It's really weird. It has dildos and butt plugs and so it's well, gonna be at see, the bottom of people's lists yeah i i think i think there the the issue with what you're describing is people just don't or don't really understand the public perception of these films maybe more so than you know the prefer like the preferential ballot being a factor because sure. i do think that everything everywhere all at once was a pretty universally beloved movie yeah yes like in like on in film some Twitter, like though. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. But those aren't the people who are voting for the yeah. Oscars, really. Yeah. Um, so I don't think, like, I, I think it's kind of a parasite situation again. You know, there was a lot of talk about it during the parasite year that the preferential ballot would probably help because there was no one who really strongly disliked parasite. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about this movie. Like, I'm not saying I don't think it was number one on everyone's ballot. But I don't think it was below a three or a four on on pretty much everyone's ballot. So I, I, I do think it played a factor. I just think what you're describing with, yes, is wrongheaded belief, but it's more a wrongheaded belief about what people's perceptions are of this movie. And the same thing with Coda to some extent, because it's an inoffensive movie at the end of the day. And that's what gets people riled up in film Twitter circles and stuff like us is the fact that it is so bland. But... Um, you know, at the end of the day, that the, the people because it is so bland, the people voting are probably not likely to put it at the bottom. Like I, I really don't think of either of those films as divisive among the general public. Yeah, I guess I think I think of everything everywhere all at once as divisive within specific parts of the population, mm -hmm. not necessarily the general public. But you know, the old the old guard of the academy probably doesn't doesn't yeah. doesn't that doesn't resonate with them probably as much as it does mm -hmm. younger more diverse voters 
And maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, it's not like I sit and talk to anybody in the academy who's like over the age, who's white male and over the age of 65 or whatever. But I, I kind of feel like if my mom watched everything ever all at once, she'd be like, what the hell is this movie? Um, and say yeah. it was really same weird with, same with like my it. mom, obviously, yeah. But I feel like there are a lot of people with those same, that share her sensibilities in the academy who like mm -hmm. All Quiet on, who probably would like All Quiet on the Western Front as a traditional war movie, for example. Um, and not, and, or the Fablemans if they actually watched it, etc. Um, but not every, how much do you think? Once. Yeah, how much do you think peer pressure played into it though, right? Because this movie was <laughs> talked about so much, you know, and um, you know, that's a really, that's a really fascinating point though, not just about the peer pressure point, which I think is valid, but very interesting trend that each of the last two years, the film that has won Best Picture unusually has had an extremely long runway from when the film was released to yeah. when the awards yeah. happened. You know, Coda released, obviously it was a Sundance film, but then it released early summer, I think, last year on Apple TV Plus. And Everything Everywhere All at Once debuted at South by Southwest, I believe, and then released shortly after in theaters and had almost an entire year before the award ceremony. I wonder, maybe that doesn't matter at all, but it feels like the particular combination of the long amount of time people are talking about the film combined with maybe the the diversity, frankly, of, of the cast and of the creators of the film, I think probably plays a role in what you're describing for sure. And the optics of it too. Like, I mean, obviously it's cynical. There, there were so many little individual great stories within oh, yeah. the, you know, the overall narrative of the film, whether it's, you know, Kihei Kwan's, you know, return to Hollywood, you know, again, the Jamie Lee Curtis thing, Michelle mm -hmm. Yeoh, you know, being the legend that she is, but never awarded. Like, even if somebody can't get behind the whole movie, maybe they can get behind the individual pieces and therefore, you know, can't can award mm -hmm. the film by, you know, thinking of it as the sum sure. of its parts rather than a whole. Yeah, that's totally fair. It's a it's a it's an interesting picture um, to analyze in that way. And, you know, not to make some sort of grand and a sweeping statement about the future of the Oscars, but do we feel like the future of the best picture category specifically, but then maybe awards as a whole as well. Oh, Coda was not, you know, dominant at all in the awards last year. It really just mm -hmm. came through in best picture and, you know, Troy Kotzer won. I don't even, did it win any other awards? I'm it not won even a sure. It won adapted it won, screenplay. Right. Yeah, of course it won adapted screenplay. But yeah, I wonder moving forward if after the last two years, if you feel like there's going to be a movie like this, Every single year, that is a feel that is a feel good movie with an inclusive, diverse cast that tells a very simple story, maybe in an interesting or nuanced way, that breaks through in the conversation and maybe doesn't win every single year, but is deep in consideration for it. Yeah, I mean, look, I think filmmakers are definitely going to be looking this as looking at this as look, this is the winning formula. Now we. Coda, maybe we could have dismissed it as an anomaly, but now this has happened again. I mean, there there are two very different films, but again, in the overall sensibilities of them, they are similar in a lot of ways. They are that feel good movie, like you said. They do have that yeah. diverse cast. Um, I think, and it's a and yes. it's a simple. It's not a complex story. Like, yeah, there's a lot of trimmings on everything everywhere yeah. at once that are like, oh, the multiverse and a couple. But at the, at the heart of the film, it's it's not a complicated story. It's, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's not, that's not an insult to the film. In fact, it's a compliment I'd say yeah. to, to really make the story simple and accessible, but it seems like this, 
there aren't that many movies I feel like anymore that get nominated with very simple stories at their core. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's true. And like I said, I think filmmakers are going to be looking at this and realizing, hey, maybe there's a new new formula emerging here. Um, you know, it's not maybe. one that necessarily excites me. But look, I, I again, I, I certainly after all these years, I am under no um, as false impressions going in that the Academy is actually going to award the best film. Best Picture, all things considered, again, I don't have an issue with this movie being awarded Best Picture yeah. and some of the other awards where I do take issue. I do want to highlight, though, that I think Kihei Kwan's win was wonderful. Um, you know, that yeah. was how yeah. they chose to kick off the night um, after the monologue, of course. And after um, Best Animated Feature, to be clear. Oh, true. Yeah, they <laughs> did do Animated first, but um then uh Strange, strangely when, they chose to do best animated feature first i have no idea why yeah we're talking about the um you know connections between coda and everything everywhere and there was you know one that happened that to me is might be like my favorite moment of the night honestly which was when troy kotzer obviously was on stage co-presenting the award as the best supporting actor winner from last year with ariana dubose and Kihei Kwan wins the award, comes on stage, and they, like, he and Kotzer had a hug that was, like, it was not your normal, like, oh, intense, you know, Curdy yeah. hug. Like, it was, those guys were feeling things. And I don't even know if they knew each other beforehand. Like, I don't know what kind of relationship they had prior to this moment. But the way that they, like, embraced, it was, like, they they get it like they understand each other's situations right because they are they are come from very similar sort of um they've had very similar sort of tra trajectories right as like you know again kihei kwan is an, is an immigrant he's asian he um you know was cast aside by the movie industry for many many years um and after being you know playing these very sort of stereotypical tokenized asian characters in the 80s and big movies didn't act for like almost 20 years before coming back in this movie. Troy Kotzer, you know, he's a hearing impaired actor. He, you know, never really got any sort of a big break in Hollywood, was normally doing supporting roles, bit parts, things like that, cameos, playing, you know, um, perhaps tokenized characters as well. And then, you know, here in the course of two years, they've both gotten their moment, like, to be the star and you know, and to revive their career and, you know, just really express themselves in a way that they were never allowed to before. And um, they both won an Oscar for it. You know, you can you can agree or not agree with the merits of that. But at the end of the day, like that's a powerful moment to see those two people, again, who have had that experience, recognizing that in each other and like, you know, really having a catharsis together. Um, so, you know, that, that was something it was, it was quick, you know, people might've missed it. Uh, but I, I think I really wanted to highlight that because I think if people, a lot of people talked about the hug between Kihei Kwan and, um, Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford later, yeah. obviously, but, um, that was the kind of like authentic moment to me, the him and him and the, and Troy Kotzer, that was like, the Oscars can actually still mean something like that. This is proof that the Oscars can actually still mean something right here. Like, look at what it has meant to these two people. And then the Academy went on for the next three hours and 20 minutes to prove that it doesn't actually really mean anything, but um, we'll get there. We'll get there. But it was, it was a nice moment to start off the evening. It definitely lulled me into a false sense of thinking, Hey, maybe this won't be so bad. Yeah. 
Well, Scott, I think that that covers everything everywhere all at once quite a bit. I'd agree about Kihei Kwan. I, I totally agree. I, I didn't. I wasn't watching Frank when Michelle Yeoh won her Oscar, but I assume mm-hmm. it was a similarly good moment. Um, it was one of those yeah, things where I could. I didn't really care enough to. Maybe this is bad of me. I just like at this point, I was. It was late. It was like eleven something. And I was like, I don't watch The Last of Us. I'm going to turn it on. Whatever. I don't care to see Brendan Fraser or Austin Butler win. That was mainly the reason why I turned it off. To be fair, yeah. and then. I, uh, but then I was, I, I saw that and I was like, okay, this is like probably, um, you know, a good, powerful moment. Cause it would have been catastrophically embarrassing for Kate Blanchett to win the award, I think with Halle Berry presenting it to her. Yeah. Or what? I mean, a real, but I mean, again, the Oscars, uh, you know, have, have a bad history with this stuff. Oh, they, even, they even worse it. a couple of years ago. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. The Chadwick Boseman thing was bad, but, yeah. um, but yes, Michelle Yeoh, it, it was a nice moment. She shouted out her mom who was and all of her family who were watching back in Malaysia. Um, you know, again, obviously got choked up and everything. It was it was a nice moment. It, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like I was sitting there like, I really wish I could appreciate this because I love her performance. I think she's awesome. I think the whole story is awesome. Like if I wasn't such a cynic, like I could just sit there and be like, wow, this is an amazing moment. But, like, the Oscars just had to go out there and they had to, you know, spoil it because there was another performance in the category that was better, in my opinion. And, again, Tar not getting anything on the evening, despite, in in both of our opinions, being the best film of the year and that being its best chance. Like they're they're as I even though I want to fully surrender to the you know how cool it is for Michelle Yeoh like there's that little twinge in me that it's just like you know dang I can't believe that Tar is really going to walk away from here empty-handed so even the moments that are good can't be too good because it's the Oscars sure yeah um, the only other sort of big winner of the night just to move on from everything ever all at once Scott is a film that we actually both saw in the last week or two, I believe. Mm-hmm. That film is the German film, winner of four awards last night. That is all quiet on the Western front. It won, of course, for Best International Feature, which it was certainly the favorite for going into the evening. It also took home awards in categories like Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, and uh, Best Original Score. So those were its four awards. It was a bit of an upset, I'd say, in best production design specifically, I think the odds on favorites there were in different directions than All Quiet on the Western Front. I think some people thought Babylon, some people thought Elvis, some people thought Avatar. It was it was a bit of a toss-up category, but I don't think anyone was really thinking too hard about All Quiet on the Western Front. Maybe I'm wrong there, but if there was one sort of surprise win, truly surprise win on the evening, it, it felt like it was maybe that category, but it took home four awards. There was even a point where you were texting me saying people at your party thought that it was performing strongly enough that it could be competing for best picture. People on Twitter too. Yeah. No, yeah, I believe you. Um, It was, it was a big night for the German film. Edward Berger directed it. um, And obviously was very, it was predicted to be very successful in the below the line categories. And it was pretty successful there. Scott, what are your thoughts on all quiet on the Western front? Yeah. I mean, we didn't really talk about the film itself um, because we watched it so recently. I was not a fan of the film very much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in fact, it rated ninth out of nine on my best picture 
nominees list. Of course, I didn't watch Elvis. I won't watch Elvis, but um, of the ones that I saw, it was it was the worst. Um, I think it's just a, honestly a, a really poor adaptation of the book by Eric Maria Remark. And you know, as a sidebar, it didn't win adapted screenplay, but there was a moment when it it looked it like, like it, it might. was going to. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, I was sitting there like, whatever you think of the movie, right? Surely, like you have to understand that this is objectively a bad yeah. adaptation of the book, right? Like, um, like it would be crazy for that have to have one adapted screenplay. Now, what what, what did win adapted screenplay wasn't much better, but um, <laughs> on the you know with All Quiet on the Western Front, like it is such a it's a poor adaptation. Even if you think it's a good screenplay, like it's not a good adaptation. I feel like you have to take that into account when uh, you know. Uh, voting on adapted screenplay but um anyway that's the sidebar because it didn't win that you know it's it to me this is the movie that the critics of 1917 saw when they watched 1917 like it is a technical spectacle and nothing else um in my opinion there's there's really nothing substantive that all quiet on the western front has to offer it looks cool it you know sounds pretty cool um you know, it wins the production design award. And I, I, I had the thought myself as I was watching it, and I saw somebody tweet it out and said, good job designing a trench, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, there's obviously more to it than that. But I do think that, you know, Avatar or even Babylon, you know, probably would have been a more worthwhile winner in that category. Oh, yeah. Good, yeah, good job designing a movie set, Scott, for Babylon. Great yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then original score, too. I mean, that that was honestly a surprise, right? Because most people thought that uh, Justin Hurwitz was going to win that for Babylon. Um, and, but, you know, the the All Quiet on the Western Front score wins for, I think, what could, uh, what could uh, very fairly be described as a very heavy reliance on three notes, literally three notes, which you heard, again, at, at, throughout the evening, every single time this movie won something. Scott, I got, I got to have to stop you right there and issue a stand down. I, I enjoy those three notes. I'm just yeah. going to let you know I, I like Well, that's fine. Notes. And that is fine, but it's not. It does not a score make. Um, sure. But, um, yeah, Scott, like, again, I, I guess looking at it objectively, it is a technically impressive film. So, like, yeah, I kind of just shrug when the, it wins the award like sure that's probably fine i just wish it went to a movie that i enjoyed more right i, I don't yeah. think the movie's very good i do think that some of the movies it was nominated against are very good but i can't really take fault with it because at the end of the day people should be considering these you know you should be considering only the cinematography when evaluating the cinematography award. You should well, not I can promise you that the, that the Cinematography Guild was not considering only cinematography when they yeah, nominated I, any I, of their nominees for cinematography. I, I know they weren't, <laughs> but um, again, that that's how I would view it. And looking only at the cinematography, like you can justify all of Quiet on the Western Front winning because it is... It's you impressive. know, a technically it's impressive. impressive. If I had seen it on the big screen, I'm sure it would have been a very immersive experience. And it was. I, I was lucky enough to be able to see mm -hmm. it at Netflix's theater in New York, the Paris Theater. It was a very immersive experience. I was texting you after I, after I left the film. I said, you know, I was saying, like, you know, this film is an absolute technical marvel, but I, I don't know why it decided to, to do the choices it made in the third. Like, I, I don't know why they went so astray in the third act um from it's not I mean, really I, just I, I read the novel act. yeah good it's it's like this whole other narrative they they decide to insert about 
the negotiations to end yeah. the war. That yeah, really Dan Daniel Brühl's character and all that's going yes, on there. Yeah. Yeah. Poison the well of like what the potency of that original novel. And from what I understand, though, I haven't seen it, the original Best Picture winning film from 1931, you know, were, was the, the potency of what those things were. Yeah, I mean, I can only assume that it was more faithful to the to the novel. But I don't What do I know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So again, certainly I think the ending works a lot better than the ending that is attempted here and understands even literally what the title All Quiet on the Western Front is supposed to signify because I don't think this version quite grasps it. Yeah, I don't want to sink too far into a review of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying there, but it won in the below the line categories. It, it wasn't quite as successful in the below the line categories as maybe it it really needed to be to mount a real sort of attack on best picture because there were some other winners, some other notable winners in below the line categories that I think it's worth sort of calling out now after we've talked through those those two award winners. Probably the first um, in the in the category that probably was most likely could have gone to All Quiet on the Western Front if it were stronger overall. Um, and that is in Best Sound, in which our Lord and Savior Tom Cruise's film did get to pick up an award win. So a Academy Award winning Top Gun Maverick for Best Sound. Obviously, we were hoping that it would have performed better overall, given the quality of the film and, and how much fun it is. But at the end of the day, I think maybe, Scott, we should just be thankful it won one award at all and, and celebrate it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's pretty sad when you come out of the Oscars and say that like the most exciting wins on the evening were like best sound and best visual effects and best original yeah. song. Sure. But, um, you know, at least it's something right. At least it's something I think Top Gun Maverick, certainly for what it meant to movies overall, um, you know, deserved deserved something and, and sound, you know, was was probably the the most impressive element of the technical aspects of the film. So um, I can't have too much, um, too many qualms there. Yeah. Uh, a friend of the pod, Jay Habib, was asking me about Oscar picks yesterday for his Oscars pool. And I assured him that the Academy liked the way the sound, the plane sounded in the film and that he should take best sound. And uh, he won his Oscar pool because of that choice. There you go. So um, that's Tom Cruise. Nice. For you. That's the power of Tom Cruise. Yeah, I say uh, you mentioned a, another one I wanted to call out because this is another below the line category. Avatar The Way of Water does pick up maybe the most slam up there with Kihei Kwan, probably and most slam dunk picks of the evening for if you're betting on one category. Surely this is the category you feel comfortable betting on. It did win best visual effects. I mean, Jim Cameron and his effects team literally created new types of visual effects for this film. So not a surprise at all, but. It did win an award. Um, it, I don't even know if there was any shot at, at it winning a different, another award. Like it was nominated in other categories, of course, production design, I believe also for best original score, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm mistaken. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I thought it was nominated for something else, but maybe I'm making that. Makeup up. and hairstyling, maybe. Oh, that's probably what it was. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. Not best original score. Um, yeah. Probably caught. Yeah. Makeup and hairstyling. Yeah. That's what it was. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was uh maybe it was just those two. I guess because it's like all yeah. Effects, it received but, yeah. four. I don't know what I'm going on. It, it received four nominations, 
I guess I just don't know where. <laughs> it was cinematography, probably. Or... No, it wasn't nominated for cinematography. So, so best sound, best visual effects, best production design, and I don't know why I'm struggling coming up. Best picture. Yeah. Oh, best picture, of course. Yeah, duh. Okay. Yeah. So those were the awards that it was nominated for. It did pick up the one in best visual effects. Scott, can we just can we can we have a salute to James Cameron's impeccable film? Yeah, one of the only times I cheered on the evening, like I said, like audibly cheered in my at my Oscar party. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie's an amazing achievement from a technical perspective. It deserves something like with Top Gun Maverick and sound visual effects was where it made the most sense. So sure, great. One of the best wins of the evening, certainly. Yeah, and now Joe Letary, Richard Bainham, Eric Seinden, and Daniel Barrett can go back into the visual effects cave and get cranking on on Back under the hood. yeah exactly they don't have 13 years for this one so they better hurry up um and then yeah the last one before shifting gears a little bit to talk about some different categories is not to not to best original song rr scott there was a lot of a lot of hubbub understandably about the performance of not to not to at the oscars and how it seemed quite white on the stage and Fair enough, there were a lot of white dancers on the stage, and it seems like it would have been pretty easy just to make it feel more authentic to the film and the source material of the song. But all that sort of chatter, understandable chatter aside, it was really cool to see the song get awarded. I was talking to Jay about his picks, and he said someone else in his pool had taken... Uh, what was the song? What was the song from Everything Everywhere? This is a life. This is a David life. Bur yeah. And I and I laughed and said, "There's no way the Academy has given David Byrne an Oscar." So, um, well, they've already done it that. one time. So I know. the joke's on you. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know. I realized that after I had sent him that, but I didn't correct yeah. myself because Jay wasn't going to know the difference. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, not too, not too from RRR does win the award for best original song, and it was just a lot of fun to see. The song being performed on stage to see it recognized i thought the um the music the people who composed to the music and then the lyrics as well i thought they gave a really good a really great speech we'll talk more about speeches later on but overall a lot of fun i do have some notes they definitely could have flash mobbed the song a little bit more gotten into the crowd did a little bit more crowd work um with the performance and ram sharan was there i'm pretty sure so i don't know what i don't know why he wasn't involved um, Probably because anyway. he did not want to reveal that there was a significant amount of uh, visual effects probably used in, during his dancing in that scene. But um, man, slander, slander! Out no, it, it's not slander at all. It was an amazing scene. But um, yeah. yeah, Scott, definitely a justified winner. Like not just because of the vibes. Like it is the best song nominated. Like it just from a music perspective, it is the best song nominated. That was pretty clear, especially after hearing all of the performances. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, you, you weren't a fan of applause once you heard it for the first time performed. Yeah. <laughs> performed I still don't think I actually heard it. I mean, it was yeah. it was happening, but I was not paying attention. But sure. um, but yeah, um, you know, awesome win, great vibes. Um, I know somebody who saw the performance, was so taken with it that they then went and watched RRR after the ceremony was over and also That's loved sick. the movie. So Wait, I mean, who, that, who was that, that means it so was a, an unmitigated success right there. Um, and um, also, yeah, M. M. Kiravani, the composer of the score and the song, 
had had one of the moments of the evening also like in his acceptance speech talking about loving the carpenters and then you know singing a a little stanza from the carpenters song top of the world with like his own interpolated lyrics about rrr um which was incredible so yeah. shout out mm kiribani a king absolutely i think uh well i'm so curious who was it that this that went and watched rrr after the ceremony it was somebody that uh i know from trivia yeah gotcha that's a late night you afterwards but yeah that's a very late yeah night for them yeah i don't know where this person lives so i don't know what time it was oh okay yeah. they weren't they weren't in person on the on the east coast at this office no party. no no i'll say that makes a lot more sense now that they weren't in person on the east coast hopefully they were on a different coast um yeah. watching that after that's a long film anyway that's our, our want to give a shout out I, I think other notable awards and then we'll uh, i do want to talk about brendan fraser i think that award you know love it or hate that that award uh him winning that award i think that is a that is a big win on the night for him but i do want to call out two categories pinocchio we briefly mentioned earlier and Guillermo del, Toro, Guillermo del Toro in the category was probably always going to be one of the front runners. And the man has literally won Best Picture, Best Director. Um, he's been very strong at the Academy, and he's definitely a favorite. He's someone who really seems to have very positive and strong relationships with across the Academy voting body. Um, everything I've heard about Pinocchio is that it's also good. Did not realize until recently that the film is set in like Nazi Germany, yeah. <laughs> which is an interesting adaptation twist that I wasn't aware of. It almost made me curious enough to go watch the movie, Scott, but I don't think I will. I'm sorry. I really sh I, do, I do like Guillermo del Toro, so I probably should watch more of his movies, but um, I just can't bring myself to always do it. Uh, and Navalny won Best Documentary Feature. I thought that I honestly, Scott, going into the like in the award show, I was texting you. I thought that I thought that there might be a chance that Fire of Love pulled off a win. I just felt like I heard so much talk about it. But then I I heard that Alexei Navalny's wife was there in person. And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe this would be a big oof moment probably if it doesn't win. Fire of Love does feel in the tradition of something like, well, I guess they were both Nat Geo, but Free Solo, right? Where it's like, wow, I can't believe Astounding. what I'm looking, yeah. looking at yeah. type of documentary. So I wouldn't have been surprised if it had won either. Yeah, Scott, for, for me, this is just another like let down on the evening right like navalny sure. was great a great documentary like amazing story that like i didn't know anything about really um we awarded that like, on an award show when one of the top scenes of the year in the film yeah. but go ahead but all the beauty and the bloodshed to me is i mean i think continuing to think about it which i have ever since i saw it, like i think it's probably one of the best documentaries i've ever seen um i think it's just kind of a landmark film and not, of course, you know, uh, Navalny is a very meaningful um, film and like, especially for the current moment. I mean, you know, again, it's, they, they get up there, they're talking about the Russia-Ukraine situation. His wife gets up there and is talking to him directly when he is like, you know, in, in jail, in jail, in prison over in Russia. Like mm -hmm. that is powerful. But to me, all the beauty of the bloodshed, the way that the story was told is what made it so much more powerful and so much more unique than something like Navalny, which was just a CNN films version of a very captivating story with a very captivating figure at its heart. All the beauty in the bloodshed was like a work of art to me, um, much like, you know, that of the person at its center. So I would have liked to see Nan Golden get, you know, her moment at the mic, but it is what it is. At least it went to a film I liked a lot. 
But still, I was sitting there like, man, they can't even let me have this one thing, right? Like, they can't even let me have, like, the documentary award. No, people don't even care about this one. Like, just give it to all the beauty of the bloodshed, please. Um, and then for animated feature, Scott, I don't really have many thoughts because I've only seen one of the films. That's Turning Red. If I were to watch another one of them, it would probably be Pinocchio. But I don't think I'm going to get to it anytime soon. I'm also not surprised that Del Toro win. Shout out to him. It's it's probably the best film in the category. Um, I'm just I just need the Puss in Boots hive to stand down because this thing has like a four point three on Letterbox average rating on Letterboxd. and like we're, we're I'm, getting I'm gonna be I'm gonna be it is on Peacock now. I'm gonna be watching Puss in Boots, yeah. Scott. So I will I will be joining the hive shortly, probably. There's just no way it is that good. <laughs> I will let you know once I have seen it. Um, you mentioned the adapted screenplay category earlier. In fact, you talked a lot about one of the films in the category that did not win the award. Mm -hmm. The award, the sorry, the winner of that award was the screenplay for Women Talking, written by Sarah Polly. Scott, it seemed like you had some feelings about that, and I just wanted to give you some space to air out your grievances. Yeah, I, I mean, look, again, I think that adapted screenplay is a deeply unserious category at this award show. Coda winning last year over the likes of The Lost Daughter, The Power of the Dog, Dune. It was honestly, it was way worse last year because I look at this category and I'm a mm -hmm. fan of, of course, Top Gun Maverick and Glass Onion. I didn't see Living, to be fair, but like last year was a joke. Um, yeah, a yeah, complete yeah. joke of a category last year. It was a weak category overall, but again, th this is still a, an unserious category. There are better choices. Obviously, the ultimate, I think, um, just laughable moment was 20, the 2020 Oscars with. Sure. Um, with Jojo Rabbit winning over Little Women, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, at at least in the case of Women Talking, again, it's something that I can recognize as being like an a a a, a, a achievement and adaptation because it seems like the Miriam Taves text that this was based off of was like not something that you could necessarily make cinematic, and I think Sarah Pauli more or less achieved. The, the feat of at least making it a cinematic experience. Um, what is a largely just dialogue driven single setting, you know, film. Um, so like as play. an adaptation, kind of like a play yeah. of a sort. As an adaptation, like, okay, fine. But I just think the screenplay is, is not very good. I really don't like what that movie is trying to do with the Ben Wishaw character. I think is really bad, honestly. Um, I do think there's too much speechifying. I do think it is a little too broad. Um, again, just just viewed up to, I know nobody wants to hear my opinion on what like the more feminist film is, but viewed uh, in the lens of like next, next to something like Little Women to me, like it is, it really just speaks to how unserious this category is that something like Women Talking would win over uh, to me a, a much more nuanced a much more potent a much more skillfully crafted feminist text like little women um and instead you know they, they give it to something that is more of a sledgehammer type approach to this issue um, yeah i, I mean I do, I do wonder scott if if little women if it were to have been released in the year 2022 and be in this category if it would have won over a film like Women Talking, I feel like it probably would have. 
Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I, w- I would hope so. I mean, I certainly think Greta Gerwig has as much juice as Sarah Pauly does, like in terms of her perception within the Academy, if not more so. I mean, she's she's actually been nominated for Best Director, which Sarah Pauly has never been nominated for. So, um, you know, that's that that's something. But yeah, I, I, maybe it was just because it was a weak year, but there were still better choices, Scott. Like Top Gun sure. Maverick would have been a better choice. Um, after Yang should have been nominated, obviously that okay, would have been yeah. a much better I mean, choice. Um, if we're logging on in yeah. non-nominated films as, as better options, then I've, I've got a list. Heck, if you want to give it to a female, uh, you know, Lena Dunham and Catherine Called Birdie was a better screenplay than this. Like it was. Yeah. All right. That's enough of women talking. Um, <laughs> I was, I was trying Can to think just... work. If I could work Enough some joke with women talking already, yeah. I was trying to work some Sarah Polly esque joke into there about women and talking, but it didn't feel it didn't feel right. So we can move on. Scott, it's time to talk about Brendan Fraser. I thought Austin Butler was going to win this category. I'll be honest. Yeah. Maybe I was out of pocket thinking that, but the but all the Austin maybe just Amanda Dobbins and Sean Fennessy telling me that the voice the voice was a real thing um, convinced me that that he was going to win this. You know, we're going to talk about the shutout movies in a second right after we finish this up elvis was one of those shutouts and elvis did not perform well and brendan fraser reaped the rewards of maybe elvis's underperformance it's a big moment for him it's kind of a it feels a little bit although not entirely um a legacy oscar award a la something like jamie lee curtis or michelle yo um i i would actually say scott that the the biggest comparison point to me for this is Sandra Bullock winning her Oscar for the blind side. It's somebody sure. who had never been nominated before, you know, winning this award. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, I guess, because people like her, they decided that they wanted to get her an Oscar, even though she's not that great of a performer. She's not good Ooh. in her hot takes, hot takes are being fired off live. She's here. not, she's not good in the film that she won. Like, Nobody sure. looked at it and said, huh, I wonder why she's never been nominated before, right? It was just like, yeah. oh, she's been around for a long time, and she's never been nominated. But is, isn't gotta, that Jamie Lee we Curtis, We gotta get Scott? her an Oscar. Isn't that Jamie Lee Curtis, too, though? Yeah, 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 yes. Uh, but I actually think Jamie Lee Curtis is a, is a skilled actress. For sure. Like, I mean, I, the, the Sandra Bullock shade is is getting... Is, is pouring off of you right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I, I know. But again, it is sort of a, a similar sentimental type thing where sure. people like Sandra Bullock. She was in a lot of mainstream movies, right? She was. She is a known person. Yeah. She is beloved by a certain. She's way more famous of... than Brennan Fraser, though, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean... Yes and no. Like for people of a certain generation, I mean, this is this is where the whole Brendan Fraser narrative comes from, right? Is that people who grew up in the '90s and early 2000s, they love Brendan Fraser, his the comedies mummy. that he did with yeah. you know the Pauly Shore stuff in the '90s. You talk about the Mummy films, like he was a huge star, honestly, in the in the early '90s through the early 2000s, and then you know. The Golden Globes incident happened. The, the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press incident happened. He, you know, kind of went away for a while. Like, you know, talking about it now, yes, I also did think Austin Butler was going to win. But, like, 
it fits along with the theme of the evening, right? Like it fits along with the other acting winners, right? That Brendan Fraser would win this. Heck, even he and Kihei Kwan were even in the same movie together at one point. They were both in Encino Man, the Pauly Shore comedy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it it felt like, it almost felt like this was another win for everything, everywhere, all at once, even though, <laughs> um, you know, it, it wasn't nominated or anything. And, and this was for the whale. But it, it's just a funny situation of, like, people mostly agreeing that Brendan Fraser is, you know, gave a great performance, people mostly loving him, but people mostly disliking the film that he was in, right? Like, The Whale was not a popular film. And, but, you know, it, they they want, everyone wanted Brendan Fraser to get this Oscar just because it was him. Um, has anyone checked on me. Glenn Close? I just want to make sure that someone has checked on Glenn Close. Well, she has COVID, so people should check on her for that reason. But, yeah. um, it's rough, Scott. It's it's rough for Glenn Close. I mean, yeah, she's she's better than all the people that we're talking about here. You know, she's better than Jamie Lee Curtis and um, Sandra Bullock and Brendan Fraser. But um, yeah, it's it's a tough look. Um, I I can't judge too harshly on this one, like I can on Jamie Lee, just because I haven't seen the whale. He may, he very well may be good in the film. I somehow doubt that based on the clips that I have seen, like the clips that I have seen of this movie. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is a real movie. Um, I've read the plot summary. I actually read the play in college. I know the whale. Um, You're familiar with him, with the, with the whale. You, sir, are yeah. not the whale. Uh, Senator Kennedy. Um, but yeah. no, um, I, uh, you, sir, are no whale. I, I think fine, He's no whatever. Moby Dick. It made people happy, but I have a feeling if I had seen The Whale, I would probably be going in on this the same way that I went in on Jamie Lee Curtis. Because, like, yeah. come on, guys. Look at the list of people who do not have an Academy Award. Uh -huh. And, like, Brendan Fraser has one now. Yeah. I mean, how about we just look in the category and see Colin Farrell and Paul Meskel? Maybe even Bill Nye? I yeah. didn't watch Living. I don't know. I don't, I'm I sure he's it. a wonderful. I'm sure he's a wonderful person. I'm sure everything that everyone says about Brendan Fraser is true. That can be true, and also him not being a great actor and not deserving of this award can also be true at the same time. Like we need to acknowledge that. Paul Mescal, by the way, was like completely nonplussed when when Brendan Fraser's name was called. So so good on him for just like you know. Yeah, you know who wasn't like it is. Yeah, I mean Angela Bassett and him. I think maybe he had like a yeah. side sidebar in the aisle mm -hmm. after some. I don't know after supporting actress or something like that. I'm not sure, but uh, I I saw somebody put out a tweet, Scott. I want to know what your thoughts are, kind of on this. That like people talk about like an Austin Butler or a Paul Mescal. Oh, they're going to get their award in ten to twenty years. Yeah in the next 10 or 20 years. But like, it seems like there's been a trend now, especially this year with like, oh no, we have to go back and give Oscars to these older people who like, uh -huh. you know, we're not, we're not given their due in their time, whether or not that's even true or not. Again, like in, in the case of somebody like Brendan Fraser. Um, like, and so, so you get stuck in a cycle, right? Where it's just like the same generation that's getting, awarded every single time and people like austin butler people like paul mescal like these young up-and-coming actors are you know missing their chance because of the narratives that other people have going for them do you think there's anything any truth to that i mean maybe i don't know i i 
I feel like there's like ups and downs and trends of the Academy. Yeah. And who they're awarding all the time. I mean, I feel like this trend of rewarding legacy actors is not really like it kind of happened last year with Will Smith, I guess. And Troy Anthony, Tonser, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Anthony Hopkins, I mean, he's won Academy Awards, so it's not like they were yeah, rewarding I don't him. think he counts, yeah. Does Joaquin Phoenix count? I don't even know. Like, sort of, maybe? I don't know. I mean, he's he's probably around the same age as Brendan Fraser, right? So, like, I guess you would you would consider that in there. Yeah, so maybe this is something that, that is a trend that we've been seeing. I mean, I think certainly going all the way back to 2015, I mean, DiCaprio... I, I mean, I liked The Revenant a lot, but I certainly don't think that that would have been necessarily the one that Matthew he would be McConaughey winning. winning for Dallas Buyers Club, I think, would go in that category. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it may, so maybe it's more common than it isn't because it does go back and forth. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis winning, obviously he'd won before. Um, yeah, Eddie Redmayne was new to the scene. He wasn't someone who. Yeah, I mean Eddie Redmayne, Malik, Those people are kind of the anomalies in there, but. Yeah, so I, I guess what I all that's to say is that I think it just depends on the year. Honestly, I really do feel like it ebbs and flows. There's no real consistency. I don't think. I mean, who knows what we'd see next year? I do think that there's maybe slightly different trends on that the male acting side than than the female acting side. I mean, Michelle Yeoh winning this year sort of following up the win from jessica chastain and francis mcdormand like it really feels like you have to be a more seasoned veteran actress to win an award i think that is much more common um it's very difficult to be a saoirse ronan or a florence Pugh, or you know insert um you know, it, it yeah. feels like it feels like Brie Larson and Emma Stone are the exceptions of people who want Jennifer Lawrence, Alicia Vikander. I mean, I but you're, but you're talking about people who yeah. who won a decade ago, though. Like it's been a yeah. long time since Emma Stone was the most recent in 2016 winning for La La Land. Um, it was more common before that, probably to your point. But it doesn't really feel like they award young female actresses anymore. And it still feels like there's a chance that that happens on the male side. I mean, the, the best actor category, like, it, you know, it, it's been said to death, but go look at the last 10 years of that and, like, what are we doing? Like, and, th and this also was the classic battle of, you know, the Academy's two favorite things of, you know, Brendan Fraser doing the physical transformation and that versus Austin Butler playing a real person. And this time the physical transformation won out. But I mean, Austin yeah. Butler did a physical transformation in the movie. He did, yeah. Um, but you know, so much more of a big deal was made about Brendan Fraser. I mean, the yeah. the whale wins. For I mean, it won for styling, right? Yeah, yeah. I was about Which to say that. Yeah. Has a lot to do with the, you know, fat suit and all that stuff that they put um, Brendan Fraser. I mean, good lord, the image that was behind them when they were up there on stage was come on guys like i understand it just won the award and we want to highlight what it won for but i did i did see quite Eesh. a few screen grabs of yeah of that shot um on on twitter and it's hard not to not to laugh yeah. at it as they really were sticking to that behind like on the on the digital screen 
as they were sort of accepting their Oscar and, and giving their speech, it was kind of, it was a choice. I guess we can call it that. It was a choice. Oh, yeah. A choice was made. All right, Scott, I think enough about the winners. Let's talk about the people who did not win. We just talked about very briefly, at least, I suppose, Elvis being completely shut out. It was nominated for eight awards. It won zero. Uh, the only the only film that was nominated more times than Elvis that didn't win an award at the show was Banshees of Sharon, completely shut out as well. Nine nominations. It, it was nominated in the same category um, for best supporting Yes, Best Supporting Actor. So it, I guess it was also only eight categories in which it was nominated, but it did receive nine nominations, one zero. You mentioned Fablemans earlier, seven nominations, zero awards. And then the last one is Our Beloved Tar, six nominations, zero awards. Scott, a lot of films with a lot of nominations getting shut out. I think that just a few years ago on this podcast, I mean, we've been doing this for five years now, I guess, but felt like a few years ago on this podcast, we were talking about how it was really difficult for one or two movies to win the vast majority of the awards because the Academy just spread the love and spread the wealth around um, pretty regularly. It seems like maybe this year was an exception to that. Um, quite a few highly regarded, strongly nominated films were shut out, Scott. Any, any additional thoughts here? Yeah, because I think you had in Everything Everywhere, you had a movie that, you know, was a technical spectacle while also having, you know, the... But it, it didn't. It, but it too. didn't win below the line awards. It won editing. That was the only below the line award that it won. Yeah, that's true. I guess um, it just swept everything above the line. Yeah, yeah. That that is that is true. But I mean, Scott, you know, you named three phenomenal films there: uh, Tar, the Family, <laughs> and Elvis, and yeah, the Banshees yeah, exactly. of yeah, yeah, R.I.P. Bozo Lerman. Over eight, there was at least one good thing that happened on the eight. <laughs> him not winning anything, but um, yeah, yeah, um, it, it's it's sad that those three movies could not win anything, um, especially like Steven Spielberg, you know, one of the most yeah. beloved, accomplished directors of all time, making a film about his childhood, making a film about movie making, right? Like this was arguably the most Oscar Beatty, you know, movie of of the whole bunch. And, uh, you know, it comes out of there with nothing. Maybe that's a sea change in the Academy. Well, that's what, Maybe I, that's it's what a... I was about to say. Yeah. In terms of I'm mean, acting, I think there's still Oscar bait performances that are successful. But I'm starting to wonder if the if the notion of an Oscar Beatty film isn't yeah. really. I mean, I Brendan anymore. Fraser is an Oscar Beatty performance. Like, the, that's why the, the, entire... perfor the performances. Yeah, still, I agree. But I'm, I'm curious about the, the from a directing and best picture perspective. It feels like. It's harder to win those awards. I mean, director has been one of the the best categories, like for in decade. general, for the last yeah. ten years. You know, the diversity yeah. of it. We awarded you know multiple women in there. Um, yes, there's been some issues with the actual nominations, but the winners until this year, like I, I can't have too many complaints about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it. You know, it, it's one of those one of those things that I think people not enough people saw these movies, not enough people talked about these movies. They did not have the same sentimental narratives around them that everything everywhere all at once did. They obviously didn't have the same representation that those films had. And it seems like these are the things in a post parasite winning, you know, Academy Award landscape. These are the things which are mattering most to voters because it seems like now more than ever, the voters are very cognizant of 
Oscar history and the type of, um, you know, films yeah. and individuals who have not been recognized traditionally. A larger percentage of the Academy because of the change in the voting composition in the body of, of the voting body are more online, frankly. They are more and yeah, in touch with yeah. that. And you can say that whatever you want about Tar and the Fablements, but they, again, they, they aren't really feel-good, sentimental movies. They don't have those narratives around them. They don't have diversity within them. And so... Tar is a queer icon, Scott. What are you talking about? Yeah, sure. That's that's fine, but not not the type that uh, I think the LGBTQ <laughs> community is looking for. But um, oh, that's a shame. It's important that we portray, you know, all, all sides, all but, sorts. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. but yeah, Scott. I, I mean, it's just one of those things, right? You know, again, we have been begging for diversity and you know wanting representation, wanting diverse films to get acknowledged parasite was an amazing example of like when all the stars aligned and and legitimately amazing masterpiece of a movie that also was a foreign language film won best picture and now it's just like guys like i, I can't even be excited about like the you know we i mean like again on paper we have this like amazingly original genre bending film with a mostly asian cast like you know it has lgbtq uh representation in it like it has all these sorts of things that we should be we should want to stand up and cheer but i think all along it's been like for us for me at least you know i want you to award the best film i want you to nominate the best films the fact of the matter is when you nominate the best films you are almost always going to get a lot of films with a lot of diversity in them but that doesn't mean that, you know, that film is necessarily number one every time. Like, Tar is not, not a diverse film. Like I said, we both agreed it was the best film of the year. Like, I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, we're just a couple white dudes. We're part of the problem, Scott. We are. We are. We are. That I, I will fully acknowledge that. We're just yeah. white dudes talking about the Oscars like everybody else. But um, Yeah. Look, I my top three films to were about a white woman about a white dude and a white woman and about some blue people, which I don't think technically count, technically count as diverse. Um, so I guess here I am on the award show talking about Scott, that. I just like it when my favorite films win, okay? I guess that's, that's really what I'm saying here. That's I know. stupid. Selfish and stupid. Um, why can't we all just Congratulations enjoy? to the Daniels, but uh, I mean, they thank their mommies, which is the exact energy i expected them to to exude when they got up everyone there. was thanking their mom last night scott i don't have any problem with that by the way but it was not the best thing when kihei kwan was the best at thanking his mom and then everyone yeah. just sort of followed suit i mean but the juxtaposition again, of kihei kwan and jamie lee curtis's speech thanking parents was just i mean oh man guys come well on. uh Again, Scott, I think it's important to note that Daniels did not think they're moms. They think they're mommies. They're mommies. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. I, see, Scott, I, I wouldn't know because I had turned, I had turned the TV Because you didn't watch that it. Point. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. I, yeah. I respect that. <laughs> Todd Field, by the way, was, he, he again, talk about somebody who was just completely nonplussed. Yeah, he, he had his hat excited on. excited to be there. Yeah. He was just, yeah, he, he was, I'm sure he had a great night. He he, I'm just gonna say that I think he noticed that James Cameron and Tom Cruise were not there, and I think he feels like he probably missed a beat. 
I put out a tweet this morning about this, Scott, but I think it is telling about, you know, how seriously and how much worth the Oscars still have that the two people who were like most responsible for quote unquote saving movies, right, in 2022, who were out there doing the actual work, pounding the pavement, so to speak, for, you know, keeping the theatrical experience, keeping original movies in theaters alive. Tom Cruise and James Cameron did not bother to show up for the Oscars. They have more important things to be doing, Scott. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting for a variety of reasons, mainly because they were at every other award show this award season, I feel like. Like James Cameron attended. His attendance was strong the rest of the year. Tom Cruise went to some, not to others. I mean, obviously, he went to the Academy Whatever that whatever that lunch is called, where Spielberg and him hugged, and everyone told him he saved movies or whatever, um, and yeah, they that, did yeah, not they did not show up for the awards show, which is, you know, that's something, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, they did their time, and like I said, they have more important things to be out there doing. Like uh, as I, as I said a few weeks back, we would stop getting so upset about the Oscars if people stop acting like they were the be all end all of this whole thing. Yeah. I, I feel like this is like a chicken and egg thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it actually works. I do want to acknowledge one last, before we move on to other things, I want to acknowledge the one category, which of the non shorts categories that we haven't talked about. Ruth Carter won her second uh, yeah. Academy award last night for costume design for black Panther Wakanda forever. She won her first award several years ago for the first black Panther movie. Really awesome that she won. I think that was really cool. Um, I was I thought Elvis was going to win this as well as hair and makeup. I was wrong on both fronts, of course, because the whale won hair and makeup. But was, unlike with the whale winning, I was very happy to see Wakanda Forever winning. I was at the Academy Museum actually just a, a couple weeks ago, Scott, and saw one of her costumes from the original film that Denai Guerrera wore. And, you know, it's it's really cool to see that up close yeah. and in person. It's very, very cool stuff. You don't really like at least for me when i watch these movies like i don't think about the fact like i just don't really appreciate in the moment how like crazy some of the costuming stuff is um like truly wild stuff i think sometimes and i think i getting to walk through the museum and see a lot of the costumes i was like oh this is like someone made this this is like pretty insane yeah um and it's nice a nice moment for her as well i still remember her winning for Black Panther, the original Black Panther, and getting up there and immediately being like, this has been a long time coming, which yeah. uh, is a hilarious thing to say. Like, uh, as you know, I, I think what she meant was, uh, you know, for a Black woman to win the award, but yeah. with the way that it came off of was, you, you guys should have given me this a long time ago, which maybe <laughs> yeah. she meant it that way, too. Yeah, it uh, it can be both. Fine. It can be both. Yeah, yeah. It, it can be both, but yeah. All right, Scott, that's all for the awards and the shutouts, lack of awards, I suppose you could call them. I do want to talk about a few other bits. We do like to talk about the performances sort of outside of the films themselves. Jimmy Kimmel was the host. I guess we technically had hosts last year, although I think you can barely call them hosts, frankly, almost almost shepherds of the of the show last year. We did return to a formal host with Jimmy Kimmel. Scott, I'll be honest, I thought his opening monologue was strong, and I thought his performance yeah. faded quickly over the evening, unfortunately. I don't know if you felt differently. 100%, Scott. Like, by the end, it didn't even feel like he was trying. Like, it was just the exact sort of 
recycled uh, comedy and bits yeah. buzzwordy political humor and everything that people like if you asked my mom my mom yeah, like, i was going to say the same yeah, thing yeah my yeah. mom like was talking to me about how she's not going to um watch the oscars and you know one of the main things she said was oh it's just going to be so political and whatnot and i was like well i don't know and you know it wasn't really at first and then um you know he's just, just like rip the ceremony i mean the, the jokes didn't even make sense again it was just like they were just there to you know say random topical thing that people know um so he was fine scott like he was relatively inoffensive i guess he kept the train on the tracks this time which is funny because you know he was also host when the midnight la la land thing happened but um sure. he he's hosted several times he's i think this is is this his third or fourth time hosting it's been a he's hosted a few yeah. times the, the monologue was pretty good though like I don't know if it was just because I was in a room full of people who were laughing, Scott, but I did think there were some funny jokes in there. I loved him getting uh, shot in on Babylon. Babylon deserved oh my it. God. Um, Knifed them backstage. That yeah. was such a good joke. <laughs> yeah, no, there there were some, there were some good jokes. It, it was, you know, overall, I guess he probably comes out fine. I I like the Oscars when they didn't have a host, but I understand that maybe it's a necessary evil. It was it was better than last year. It was better than last year with some of the you know awful bits and stuff that were done last year. There were still awful bits that were done. Yeah, I was I was going to uh, come to that part next because the yeah. you know I I will raise my hand and say I joked about this for several weeks leading into the Oscars that they needed to have Cocaine Bear and Megan at the Oscars. They managed to get Cocaine Bear in a bear suit. And the choices they made with that bear suit were talk about being nonplussed, Scott. You talked about people in the audience being nonplussed. He was winning awards. I was nonplussed at the choices they made with Cocaine Bear. I mean, really, really sad stuff. I, I we Scott, I'll be frank. We needed a we needed a Megan flash mob. Is what we needed. We didn't need any of this garbage, Scott. You know, <laughs> again, this was it was three hours and forty minutes long. Yeah, I didn't think it went that um we had a three minute little mermaid ad scott what the hell yeah, is oh, that yeah, of course i um i do want to say that i i do want to somewhat commend the academy for one thing they did which is i think they actually do seem pretty apologetic did come off as pretty apologetic about the not presenting all of the categories last year scott which obviously was one of the yeah. bigger problems with last year's ceremony as well you know sure. they immediately start out with the video montage like talking about how we're here to celebrate the artists Jimmy Kimmel makes a point of saying we're going to yeah, present earnestly. all the awards tonight. Yeah. It did not seem like anyone was getting played off at all. Like people were just allowed to give their speeches. Um, there weren't any really egregious examples that I can remember of it. People were really allowed to talk, even the people in the below the line categories. And there were even these attempts like, you know, Michael B. Jordan and, and uh, Jonathan Majors got up there to present cinematography and they had a whole little, you know, lesson that they gave about spike lee uh and the, some of the techniques that he used on malcolm x and then orson wells like and how he you know did this one difficult shot back in you know the 40s when citizen kane was made like they were actually drawing attention to here's what this category is right we're gonna you know kind of give you a highlight of how cool that this can actually be right like because you know you may not it may not be something that the average person looks for in movies, but your movies would not be anything without 
each one of these component parts. Um, so they did really seem like they understood their mistake there and understood that the Oscars is supposed to be about celebrating everyone. And so to that end, I didn't care also that it was three hours and 40 minutes because I felt like, you know, it, it was justified in give you know in giving all that time back to the, the various categories. But if you want to cut time, it's obvious where they could have cut it. It's obvious that Cocaine Bear should have gone. Like, yeah, who cares? And the Little Mermaid. I'm sorry. I know Disney. I know Disney hosts the award show, and they had an advertisement for every Disney thing possible that you could imagine. But the length of time which we spent on the Little Mermaid. I mean, Scott. I mean, that was that was a that was a low point for me, honestly. We had Morgan Freeman and and Margot Robbie presenting a like Warner the Brothers Warner Brothers hundredth anniversary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm all about honoring. I I was less offended by that because I think that's like a little bit more engaging from like a cinema history yeah. perspective, which I do think is what ultimately the Academy is about. But we did not need another look at The Little Mermaid. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not excited for that film. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Musical acts, Scott. That's the other last bit of sort of the of this before we get to the speeches we had the five performances we talked about not to not to um the other four original songs were performed as well scott did you enjoy the stripped down version of hold my hand did you enjoy rihanna's performance of i'm forgetting the name of that song off the top of my head right lift now me up. lift me up what was what were the highlights for you there if any Real quick, I want to say on the Little Mermaid point. Um, also, in the in the party that I was at, when the trailer started playing, like somebody who was sitting next to the light switch instinctively turned off the lights because we were like, we have to be able to see this trailer. We're not going to oh, be able no. to see the the, the Dagum trailer. Unless I hate this discourse, Scott. You would have been better off just leaving the lights on. You'd been fine. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But anyway, the performances, Scott. Natu Natu was definitely the clear standout. I mean, it's the best song. It was the best performance. Lady Gaga gave a pretty weird performance of Hold My Hand, which is a song that I like, but they were doing some Tom Hooper close-ups right in her face, like for the majority of the performance. And she dedicated she it to the late Tony Scott and stuff. So yeah. there was like some was there nice. was some yeah. emotion and reason behind it, but it was it felt out but of she place sang almost. The, she sang the song in a pretty low register the whole time. And like that is a, like a big power ballad. Like you need to belt that thing out. Like and it, she didn't really do that. And you know Lady Gaga can. She's a very talented singer, but yeah, go watch like, Asar is born. You can see yeah. her belts and power ballads. It was it was weird. Uh, you know, we had David Byrne and Stephanie Hsu performing um because Mitski didn't want to perform at the Oscars, which is completely understandable if you know anything about Mitski, but um you know, uh, some people were saying David Byrne was not singing on key. Who Whatever, cares? man. Like uh, yeah, like as somebody else said, David Byrne does not need to sing on key. If he if he is if he is not singing on key, everyone else should adjust appropriately. Um, like I would not dare slander the name of that man for one second. Um, so if you want to do that, that's fine. But um, you know, it, it, you can enjoy Diane Warren at the piano because I guess that moment was for you. Um, that was in one ear, out the other for me, Scott. And Rihanna was fine. I liked like Rihanna. I was like, man, I like yeah. this song. It was the second more. best one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess what I'm here to say, Scott, in the year 2023, Rihanna, good singer? I think so. I think yeah. we'll have to admit it, finally, in this year. All right, so yeah. speeches. We, we, I feel like we sort of talked a little bit about speeches already. You called out the RRR 
um, composer and lyricist. I think we talked about Kihei Kwan's moment being very powerful. Are there any other speeches that you wanted to call out from the evening or are those the real highlights for you? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm racking my brain. I, I think those those were the real highlights. Um, I don't I don't have too much to add. You know, I've, I've tried to highlight moments along the way when, um, you know, I, I thought people had something interesting or funny or not interesting to say, I guess. I, I, I will know, say, while you rack your brain, I did actually really like Paul Rogers' acceptance speech. He's yeah, the, the editor. editor for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I thought that was actually a really great speech unexpectedly. Um, I don't even know if I can quite put my finger on exactly what I liked about it, but it just felt very, I don't know. It, he felt very human, I guess, is what I'll say. And I feel like, especially when you juxtapose it to some of the other speeches from people who are like, I finally won my award. They they, they still just feel so out of touch with like the average person. And I, and I really just sort of the very relaxed nature of his speech and just sort of soaking it all in. That felt extremely relatable to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I also mentioned, of course, the Navalny speech, which was sure. you know pretty yeah. powerful. His wife getting up there and making the appeal directly to the camera. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there's much else to say. I think we've kind of sort of highlighted the big moments. Okay, last big moment, and then we're going to wrap things up here. The end memoriam, Scott. I think we were texting back and forth during this portion. It's not something that we often talk too much about when we're reviewing the show, but there were some strange and notable omissions from the in memoriam this year i guess we'll see in a year's time if those people get included a year from now someone like tom sizemore who of course did die very recently you know like a week ago or so feels like there would have been enough time to include them in the include him in the in memoriam if they wanted to maybe it was already choreographed and locked in and there couldn't be changes made i mean i want to raise my hand and say it's totally possible having been a part of production like that before from an, like an internal part of the job that I do, things get locked very far ahead of time and it's very difficult to change things once they are. Even more so, I imagine, at a public-facing performance such as this, I can imagine it's quite difficult. Feels like Tom Sizemore is a big enough actor where you might make that change. You might make a change for him. But maybe we have a warped sense of the scale of Tom Sizemore as an actor. I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, he was in, you know, he was a journeyman character actor sure. um, for Saving many Private years. Ryan. In a lot, yeah, in a lot yeah. of military movies. Saving Private Ryan, probably the most famous one. Um, he deserved to be in there, absolutely. Um, you know, again, there's some other omissions, like, uh, you know, we were commenting on the fact that Charles B. Dean was left out, the star of one of the best picture-nominated films, Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, Kevin um, Conroy was left out. Kevin Conroy, you know, Ray Liotta made it in, but his his um, Goodfellas co-star, Paul Sorvino, did not, which is kind of a big one that was forgotten. Gilbert Gottfried, of course, the yeah. comedian and voice from Aladdin and other things, did not make it in. Um, yeah, some of these I wondered if it's well. because they weren't they weren't card-carrying members and of pa the Academy. Paul like Sorvino surely was a card-carrying member. Well, that's what yeah, I was going to say, because be like, I think that could apply yeah. to someone like Charles B. Dean or even Kevin Conroy, yeah. who was not in yeah. that many, you know, truly theatrically released motion pictures. Although I can't imagine he's not a member of SAG. Like, it, it seems like he surely was a member of SAG. Like, there's just no way he wasn't. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. It, it just sort of felt inexplicable. And you're right, Paul Sorvino, like, seems to be shocking if he wasn't a member of the Academy. Yeah. 
of course, Jimmy Kimmel, that was another one of his his complete bombs of a joke, was talking about, oh, we have to vote on whether Robert Blake is going to be included in the Ed Memoriam or not, which, yeah. okay, ha-ha, very <laughs> funny. Yeah. We're going to joke, it's, 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 you know, multiple layers of funny, because number one, we're going to joke about a guy who died, and number two, we're going to joke about the fact that, he um, you know, he was accused of killing his wife. Yeah. Really great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. Any other thoughts, Scott? Any other final thoughts on the 95th Academy Awards? It was bad, Scott. Um, like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but again, when, when we're coming out of this thing and like the best wins that we can talk about are sound and visual effects, like, sure, that's pretty bleak. And the ceremony itself, sure, was not necessarily an unmitigated disaster. Like, um, you know, it has been in recent years, like the Soderbergh Oscars were, like last year's obviously was with the slap and all that nonsense. Um, you know, it 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 is just another, uh, you know, another year has gone by um, where I just kind of question at the end of the night, what is the point of all this? It doesn't seem like we're really celebrating movies too much, though maybe we did it a little bit more than usual this time. Um, and we're never capturing the best movies anymore. So, um, nevertheless, Scott, I have I have no doubt that next year, when comes Oscar time, we will be putting on our clown makeup and sitting down to watch the ceremony once more, and probably lodging the same complaints. But you know, it's the definition of insanity. We do the same thing every uh, over and over again, expecting different results. Maybe those different results will happen. It happen eventually. Yeah. Maybe why Barbie. You, why don't you just change your taste in film? Yeah. That? Hashtag Barbie sweep. Let's start it now. I mean, again, movies can't came out early in the year. I've been winning these things. Maybe we can get a Megan sweep. Maybe we can get a Megan sweep next year. Megan's already out. So. Hashtag How about, How about Cocaine Bear, Scott? Eh. Haven't seen it. How about Scream Six? Best adapted screenplay, Oscar win. Well, we can discuss the possibilities next week on some like it, Scott. Yes, great tease, absolutely, Scott. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Would I, I guess what I'll say is that I enjoyed last night last night's show insofar as the tar jokes wrote themselves on Twitter. I will say that yeah. much. You you cannot start without me. Um, Scrolling through Twitter was you know was good. Uh, it's always always fun during a big event like this. Sure. Yeah, there was some there was some quality quality output on Twitter, no doubt. I mean, one of the highlights for me was um, when they were playing off Sarah Polly with the Pirates of the Caribbean thing. Yes. I mean, I, I texted you this and then saw a tweet, someone else saying the same thing. And I was like, this is it. I mean, this is, you know, noted Wild. lover of women who talk, Johnny Depp's yeah. key franchise. The theme from that is playing off the director and writer well, of women talking. That was like, what was it last year? They had some like vaguely racist one or something when, uh, oh yeah, it was when, um, I believe it was John Boyega presented something and they were playing like Africa by Toto or something. Like, it was it was so bad. Don't yes. you remember that? Yeah. I do remember now that you say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who is coordinating these things? How do they not? Like, well, what's crazy is they, that last year the Oscar was produced them? by Will Packer, who, you know, is like a pretty famous African-American producer. Yeah. And they're playing Toto by Africa when John Boyega presents an award. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, Scott. I think that should just about do it for the 2022 slash 2023 award season and episode 227 
of some like it's got where can people find you on the socials i'm at scarvy Dent. you can find me at at shelton 2013 on twitter letterbox serialized where you can find scott also don't forget to also check out our podcast patreon at www.patreon.com slash media plug pods if you can support us over there we'd appreciate it but if not it's okay you can still find us on apple Podcasts, spotify etc wherever you listen to your podcasts where we'd appreciate it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, all that jazz, so continue to reach a broader audience. And we thank you for taking time to listen to us chat about the 2023 Academy Awards. We'll be back next week with a review of the movie Scott was just alluding to, that is Scream 6, the latest film in the Scream franchise, directed by Radio Silence, the follow-up from last year's Scream 5. We hope you'll join us for that next week, but until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.